What is going on, everybody? Welcome to Games Are Fun, the weekly video game podcast show where I, your host, Luke Armstrong, talk to you guys about video game news stories and highlights from the past week that I found interesting. Come here each week, share those stories with you guys. I also tend to share some of my opinions on the best games around. In this week's episode, I got news stories for you, and I also have a highlight piece at the end of the show where I talk about first-person shooters. So in today's show, I got an article uh, about the next generation of Xbox consoles. Yes, that is plural. Apparently, there are reports that Microsoft is developing two consoles for the next generation. We all obviously know about uh, Xbox Scarlet. That's the code name for their next console. But there's some rumors about another console that is going to be focused on streaming video games. So I got uh, all the details around that. I also got a cool announcement on Hori controllers, specifically Hori Nintendo controllers. They announced uh, some GameCube controllers that are going to be playable for the Nintendo Switch, as well as new Joy-Cons that come with a D-pad, which is uh, very controversial when it comes to talking about Joy-Con controllers for the Nintendo Switch. So that's what today's episode is going to look like. And like I said, I'm finishing off the show with talking about some first-person shooter games um, and highlighting the history behind that genre. But before we get to all that, let's get over the housekeeping stuff. If you like what you hear and you want to send in your comments, thoughts, feedback, or if you don't like what you hear and you want to provide some feedback, you can reach me at the email address gamesarefunpodcast at gmail.com. I read all your guys' emails that you send in, and I appreciate when you do take the time to send in your mail. Um, and who knows, any mail you send in could be read out on the show. So that's always something to think about. Also, make sure you head over to Facebook and follow Games Are Fun. That's where I'm posting all my updates around the podcast so you can make sure that you won't miss any piece of news. Speaking of news, Games Are Fun podcast is now available on Google Play. Google Play Music now has, if you search Games Are Fun under podcasts, mine should come up. Um, if you're having troubles, find it, go over to the Facebook page. I'll have links for it there. So that isn't the only place you can listen to it. Of course, you're probably listening onto one of these platforms. It's also available on iTunes, SoundCloud, and CastBox. But whatever you're listening it on, if you could take the time to like it, subscribe to the podcast on whatever platform you go, it goes a long way when you guys do that. I really appreciate it. Um, and one other housekeeping thing, a couple episodes ago, I was talking about No Man's Sky and the new update that was coming. Well, the update's live. The game is live on Xbox as well. And I mentioned that I wanted to kind of get a group together to play No Man's Sky, this new multiplayer update. And so that's still in the plan. I haven't forgot about that. So don't worry about that if you are interested in that. I know a couple of you have reached out to me. And next episode or the episode after that, I will be announcing plans on formally getting together or setting a date where we could all play together. I think it'd be fun to do these kind of group let's plays um, for specific games each month. I think that's something that I think people would be interested in. And, you know, it could vary from console to console, Xbox, PS4. I know some of you guys only have one, but we'll try to make it accessible to everybody. So, more news on that in the next couple episodes. 
and that's that that's housekeeping so let's get on with the show so microsoft announced a while back that uh their next console was in development um back around e3 it was named scarlet of course that's a placeholder uh code name just like we saw the xbox one x was called project scorpio it's not new to the industry not just the gaming industry but technology in general to give code names to these uh pieces of technology just as placeholders um until they come up with an official name or so that the official name doesn't leak out or anything so we did get an announcement that they are developing a new console which blows my mind to some degree because the xbox one x world's most powerful console was just released last fall in november and they're already announcing that yeah we are in the starting stages of developing our next generation of console that's pretty awesome i thought like it's it has it's expected because we're getting to the last couple of years of this generation but the fact that like what i don't know what they could do I, well there's there's probably improvements that they can do i don't know all the technology details surrounding the xbox one x but you know on paper it's pretty impressive i don't know what else they could do um with the console so i, I think it's more of not necessarily hardware hardware and specs but more of how they are delivering those games to the player and the experience that they're providing, right? So that kind of ties in with uh, the article that I got. So Thurot um, reported that Microsoft is currently planning two different pieces of hardware. Uh, I'm reading this from Jesse Wade at IGN.com, but if you want to know more details about this, go over to Thurot.com, look up Brad Sams. He wrote an awesome article about this. He gets all credit um, for this news. But I'm reading this from Jesse Wade at IGN.com. So Thurot reports that Microsoft is currently playing two different pieces of hardware, one of which will be the traditional console similar to the Xbox brand. The specs are still unknown due to the hardware being in such early development. So like I mentioned, they're in the early stages. We don't know what this console looks like yet, um, but they are in the development process. But more info comes from the second device, which is said to be a streaming box that is designed for Microsoft's upcoming game streaming platform, which the rumor name Scarlet Cloud. So the focus on the new generation of consoles is that Microsoft doesn't want you to notice the difference between playing a game using a game streaming console or a full classic style console. However, to do this, Thurot reports that the streaming box will be more expensive than those sold in stores today, but much cheaper overall than buying a dedicated console. This is due to the extra hardware inside that is supposed to help with smoother latencies while streaming. Microsoft plans on creating the bulk of their revenue from subscription service as they currently do with Xbox Live, Xbox Game Pass, and digital sales. The current release date for both consoles is sometime in 2020. Of course, that is just a rumor. It's unsure what the newest games are that will be released on Scarlet consoles, but it's speculated that Bethesda's new franchise, Starfield, and long-awaited Elder Scrolls VI might be two of them, as Bethesda's Todd Howard called Starfield a next-gen game. So... I thought this article was interesting. This is a really big piece of news that is circulating around the game industry. So my thoughts around it. Well, first of all, the fact that there's two consoles coming out, um, I think is pretty smart. I think we're now getting into that stage where there is a tier for you know hardcore gamers 
I would put myself in that category. People that are very dedicated to gaming, like to play a variety of different games, uh, make gaming part of their lifestyle. And then I think there's another set of consoles that are aimed more towards the casual player. People that like playing games but aren't necessarily uh, playing all the different games that are out there. They, they stick to the games that they find interesting. Um, not to <laughs> label people, but you know, people that are interested in games like Fortnite or Call of Duty or FIFA, those games that um, do really well each year, they come back to because they enjoy them. Um, they don't necessarily go outside of their little circle of games. So I think a streaming console, this was kind of expected. When we saw that streaming content was on the rise through you know services like Netflix and watching movies and TV shows uh, through streaming devices, you know, it was just a matter of time before gaming stepped into this. It, this isn't the first time that gaming will be doing this. Of course, we have uh, PlayStation Now, which is a streaming service that I don't even want to talk about because it's not that great. And then, you know, we have Game Pass where it's a similar, it's not necessarily streaming games, but it is uh, a way of accessing a library of games where you can, you know, you pay a subscription and you get to download the games and play them until, as long as you're an active subscriber. So we're kind of already at that point in games where we can pay a ser pay for a service and get games on demand and so the fact that this is where they're headed in the next generation isn't a surprise at all so basically the thing that i think is going to happen is they're going to have the the big boy xbox um for the hardcore gamers like i mentioned that's going to be the console that is just basically the next generation of the xbox one it's going to improve on a lot of things that the Xbox One lacks and you know it's still going to have traditional retail discs be able to play in it um, but of course they're going to have all the access to digital sales and I think they're also it's going to be able to utilize whatever streaming service that Microsoft plans to put with this other console I think it's also going to have access to that and I think that the so-called streaming uh the Xbox streaming console or Scarlet streaming device is going to be strictly that. It's going to be a device, you know, think of your Apple TV or your Roku or a or your Google Chromecast, a device that has applications on it that basically can tap into whatever their library of games will be. Maybe it'll be, you know, called Game Pass or like the article I mentioned Scar the Scarlet Cloud or whatever they're going to have something like that where you can stream the games um, and there'll be a set library of games right you're not going to be able to stream every single game that's out there just like you can't watch whatever movie you want on Netflix there those newer releases you got to go on iTunes and rent them or go buy them on Blu-ray right and so I think the streaming device will have a, a good variety of games um, and I think that they are the, the the challenges that they face and they mentioned this that in the article that the the console is probably going to be more expensive than what consoles are currently at today because they just want to develop the hardware and the software to be able to stream these games at a high enough rating so that you know you're not experiencing lag input or um, 
those kinds of tech technical things that come with streaming, right? If you're watching Netflix and you know your internet goes down or there's a lag, it's not the end of the world. Um, you know, it buffers and then you resume the show, hopefully. And in gaming, if that happens, you know, that could be fairly substantial, especially if you're playing online play, right? Can you imagine playing a round of Fortnite or Call of Duty and you're in the middle of a match and all of a sudden you you time out, right? We, we even experience that with online games um, with internet connections. But I'm saying like if you're streaming a game that you, let's say that doesn't even have uh, an online component to it, like a multiplayer match, you the whole game, single player, whatever, is going to be online, right? Because you're streaming it. You're not actually possessing the, the digital file of it, if that makes sense. So I think personally that this is cool. I think this is great. I'm glad that they're not, you know, strictly going to that route. If the next Xbox console was a stream only box, to be honest with you, I would not get it. Just be, being the gamer I am, I'm a collector, which I, not a, a lot of people are anymore. I like to collect physical copies of games, still have a lot of digital games, but I want to have physical copies if I can. I want to hold on to them as long as I can. And the other side of that is that I want to basically have the access to the new releases. Now, the streaming service, I could see that, you know, certain developers could be releasing their games and also day and date release them on this streaming service, right? Um, I could see that happening, but, you know, it's just like you, if you really like the new Star Wars movie, you got to wait a while before it's going to be on Netflix, right? Um, whereas you can go to the store and buy it on Blu-ray and watch it the day it comes out. That's kind of where I'm at with gaming. And so when the time comes for the next generation of consoles and when I want to make my purchase on them, cause I'm undoubtedly doubtedly going to buy the next console whether it's going to be uh, I buy a PlayStation 5 before the Xbox console I, I'm still not sure about that but I'm I'm definitely going to go over if the, the other option the Xbox Scarlet over the streaming device maybe down maybe if they show how um, how different it is from what we're just speculating right now if there's things that can win me over maybe I'll change my tune but um, I think that this console would be great for uh, kids, people who uh, kids like to play a wide variety of games. They pick up games and drop them really fast. If I look at my backlog of games from when I was a kid, I'm sure I only beat 15 to 20% of them, saw them to completion. And so this would be a great way for kids to, you know, pick up a game, play it, move on to another game when they lose interest in the other one. Right? So I think that's cool. I think that, Microsoft is ahead of the game. I don't think PlayStation is going to have something like this. They might have some sort of streaming service or they're going to try to improve PlayStation now when it comes to the next generation. But, you know, Microsoft has been pushing this for a while and they're undoubtedly going to uh, win if they go that route if it was a battle between PlayStation and Microsoft doing it. So that's kind of all interesting news. Um, I know that's not going to interest everybody, but you know we're we're at that point. Where we're only a couple years out, and uh, we need to start kind of looking at uh, 
what the next generation of gaming is going to be. You think of how much gaming has changed in the last, you know, 10 years. Um, what's it going to look like in, in the next 10 years? And so those are, I like, I like talking about those things and seeing where the future of gaming is headed. So moving on to my next story, um, Hori, who is known for creating uh, controllers and peripherals for uh, devices. Specifically, they, they definitely work with Nintendo quite a bit. Um, Nintendo Switch is getting GameCube-style controllers. So Hori has announced three new GameCube-style controllers for Nintendo Switch. The controllers are themed after Mario, Zelda, and Pikachu and are set for release in October. Um, and of course that is in Japan, but there's no word on a Western release yet, but I'm sure they'll come in the future. And so these controllers connect to the Switch's dock via USB and allow players to reassign the LR and ZL ZR buttons. They also have a lightweight design and textured handles that allow for a better grip while playing games like Super Smash Bros. Ultimate. And so... PDP has also announced multiple GameCube themed controllers for Switch, which should be arriving just in time for the release of Super Smash Bros. Ultimate in December. PDP's controllers will be available in three different flavors, Mario, Link, and Pikachu. Unlike Hori's GameCube controllers, PDP's versions will allow users to swap the C-Stick, giving players the ability to choose between the original C-Stick design or a more modernized full-size twin-stick control scheme. So... Uh, I'm looking at the pictures right now, and I can assure you that the PDP controllers look really, really sweet. For those of you who don't know, the GameCube controller is basically lives in unison with Super Smash Bros. <clears throat> they have made the you can use the GameCube controller, of course, with the Nintendo Wii, but they've also created one uh, an adapter for the Wii U, so you could use your GameCube controllers, and they also have an adapter for the Nintendo Switch that will allow you to play with GameCube controllers. And with Super Smash Bros. coming out, that a lot of people say that is strictly the only way to play Super Smash Bros. And so it's it does it makes sense that, you know, third party companies are going to develop GameCube controllers and release them just in time for Super Smash Bros. And so I'm getting Super Smash Bros. for sure when it comes out. And I'll probably pick up uh, whatever GameCube controllers are available. And these PDP controllers look just wicked. Go over to IGN.com. Uh, Philip Mewson did the article. Just look, type, type in Nintendo Switch is getting GameCube style controllers and it'll pull up photos of both, uh, both companies' controllers. And so you can take a look at them for yourself. They're so cool. Uh, I'm looking at this Zelda one right now. And... I'll probably be buying that but that's not all that the nintendo switch is getting specifically that's not all that hori is developing for the nintendo switch we are also getting new joy cons uh, that are going to be coming out near the end of the year um, so hori has announced a problem with the d-pad controller if left connected to the switch oh sorry i'm jumping ahead in the article so basically there's new joy cons that are supposed to be coming out um as per usual they're released in july on july 26th in japan but they're eventually slated for a western release so we got these joy cons super mario and zelda themed um 
Now, the traditional Joy-Cons that came with the Nintendo Switch on the left Joy-Con, right below the analog stick, is four directional buttons, not a, a, a traditional D-pad. And so a lot of people um, were upset about that. I personally could care less. I think it works fine. But apparently, gamers who uh, play retro-style games, specifically fighting games like Street Fighter, um, you know, rely on a directional pad to be able to pull off moves much easier. And so there are certain games that <clears throat> a traditional D-pad is going to be more beneficial than, you know, the four uh, buttons that are traditionally on a Nintendo Joy-Con controller. And so people have modded Joy-Cons to be able to have a D-pad, but this is cool that Hori's coming out with Joy-Cons that have a D-pad. But there's a catch. So Hori has announced a problem with the D-pad controller. If left connected to the Switch in sleep mode, the Joy-Con may drain the Switch's battery. Um, and so Hori's controller is designed for use uh, in place of your Joy-Con in handheld uh, sorry, excuse me. The Hori controllers are designed for use in place for handheld mode, meaning you cannot remove them and be able to play them when your Switch is hooked up to your TV. And so that makes it a little more difficult um, for some people, right? I almost exclusively use my Switch in handheld mode, so I'm able to uh, that wouldn't be an issue to me, but if you are going to be playing on a TV, obviously these Joy-Cons aren't going to work for you. Um, so the reason why uh, they won't work is just because they had to kind of somehow bring down the price. And so it was removing some of those technology te technological features that uh, made the make Joy-Cons compatible for playing on your TV. Um, so they've left out several key features that limit the ways you can use it. So there's no Bluetooth, no gyro sensor, or SLSR buttons, I mean it can only be used in the handheld mode. So, you know, there's downsides to this, but it's also cool to see that there are Joy-Cons being released with that directional pad. Um, they also look really, really sweet. The Mario ones look awesome. So if this gets a Western release, I may pick these up as kind of like backup Joy-Cons to maybe use when I'm on the road and I'm bringing my Switch with me. But, you know, I plan on getting a Switch Pro controller so that when I'm playing on the TV, I can use the Pro controller and just be more comfortable in that regard. So again... Not the coolest news stories, especially for audio listeners, but it was kind of a slow news week, so I, I was digging deep to try to find some cool things to talk about. Um, but now moving on to the next topic, we are I'm going to be talking about uh, first-person shooters. So last week, question of the week was, what is your favorite first-person shooter of all time? So a couple of you responded back to that. And so Brian Paquin um, messaged me and said the following. So hands down, Call of Duty Modern Warfare 2. If I was a bit older and maybe a tad better at first person shooters, I might have said Halo 3 or COD 4. But because of nostalgia and the fact that I haven't encountered a game with that Modern Warfare 2 feel since, I'm giving it to MW2. 
I played MW2 till 2016, and heck, I'd still rather play MW2 and cheap hacked lobbies on Rust over any other first-person shooter. The COD formula hit its apex with MW2. Um, he says, I'd like to also give a shout-out to Battlefield 1. Though great game and lots of fun, the nostalgia is one hell of a drug, so I'm sticking to MW2. So, Brian, no doubt, MW2, Modern Warfare 2, was the height of call of duty if i i you know i had the very first call of duty uh that came on consoles call of duty finest hour but of course we didn't get that multiplayer for call of duty until cod modern warfare cod 4 so i gotta give a lot of credit to cod 4 because that was the game that brought me into multiplayer first person shooters and changed my perspective around first person shooters so there's a little bit of me that just Holds on that one really close. But if we look at, you know, the Call of Duty franchise, Modern Warfare 2 was definitely the, the top of the peak of the Call of Duty name. The, the, the campaign was great, but the multiplayer was, was seriously next level. Um, the, the options for gun, the customization, the maps, it just it really executed well. Um, for a first-person online shooter. And so, yeah, he mentions Rust. Rust is definitely the most uh, the most praised map in the Call of Duty franchise. It's a smaller map, but people, when they think of the best Call of Duty maps, Rust is up definitely probably number one, um, I guess, behind Nuketown in a lot of people's opinions. But Brian says Rust over Nuketown all day, every day, which I would agree. So... Yeah, thanks, Brian, uh, for sending in your favorite game, first-person shooter. And then shout-out to my nephew, Eli, who verbally told me in person that his favorite first-person shooter, shooter is Halo 5. So he's played through all the, the Halo games. He's got a taste of them, which is awesome because those are a huge part of first-person shooter history and video game history. And it used to be Halo 2, but he says Halo 5 now just because of the new mechanics that are optimized for more modern day gaming. Eli, I totally get what you're saying. Though, you know, being able to aim down sights with your guns, um, just, and a whole bunch of different mechanics added to the game make it a much more enjoyable game to play. But I have to say that, in my humble opinion, the best Halo first person shooter is Halo 2, probably. I think that is what changed the franchise halo combat evolved set the stage halo 2 put on the show that's a cool that's a cool analogy right there <laughs> um and then i think halo 3 came in for the encore with uh it's great multiplayer that's that's halo to me is the the first three games so now kind of segueing into the next part of this discussion, I'm going to talk to you guys about not not necessarily my first, my favorite first person shooter games, but I wanted to mention the first person shooter games that I think have made the biggest impact in gaming. So let's let's go way back, and you should already know where I'm going with this. And one of the 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 grandfathers of first-person shooters is Doom. So Doom was uh, released in 
1993, like early 90s, I want to say. Um, you could uh, originally it, you were it was released on the computer, um, so that's the only way you were able to play it. But then it saw releases on uh, the SNES and PlayStation, a whole, a whole bunch of other platforms in the couple years after that. And so Doom, you know, wasn't the very first first-person shooter that ever came out. You know, um, id Software, I believe. I say id Software. I don't know if it's ID Software or id Software. I'm pretty sure it's id. But the video game developer behind uh, Doom they released Wolfenstein before they actually released Doom. And Wolfenstein, of course, was a first-person shooter as well. But Doom was the pinnacle of changing the genre forever. You know, there wasn't... That was at a time where there wasn't... First-person shooters did not exist. Um, it was a new type of mechanic that people were experiencing for the first time. And... It just executed it really well. The gameplay was awesome. It was so hardcore. You're playing, you know, you're you're on Mars and you're killing demons that have come up from hell. It's hell on Mars, and you're a marine, you're a doom guy, and you are blasting demons with the shotgun and the BFG, and it's just it's such a good game. I'm sorry, I'm just getting lost in in my memories of playing Doom, of course, released before I was born, but definitely have put in my fair share of hours on that game. And so, yeah, Doom, Doom, we would not have the games we have today if it wasn't for Doom. So, for all you youngins out there, well, I guess <laughs> my nephews, if you're Eli, if you're listening to this and you're like, oh, I want to check out Doom, it's a little, I think it's a little too much for you at this point. You'd have to check in with your parents. But down the line, definitely, definitely check out Doom. Once you're of at a of age, check out check out Doom um, so you can experience that piece of first person shooter history. Moving on to Goldeneye, of course, for the Nintendo 64, one of the best couch co-op or not co-op couch split screen first person shooter games so again we're still in the 90s when first person shooters were finding their ground and what goldeneye did was created that friendly split screen play i say friendly but i'm sure things got heated back in the day of playing with your friends um, this was the first real first-person shooter game I ever experienced when I was younger. Um, yeah, just playing the other games that were around at that time, this game definitely stood out because there was no other game that was able to execute multiplayer like this. You'd play with three other friends, and it was extremely fun. Uh, you got into huge arguments because of screen looking, screen cheating, looking at the map <laughs> where the other person's map and seeing where they are but you know again i think we wouldn't have the type of on pl online play we have with first person shooters if it wasn't for you know goldeneye um you know really really making a foundation on how multiplayer first person shooters should be and then quickly because I don't want this podcast to drag on too long. Um, 
I'm just going to point out from some different generations, some other first-person shooters. So Halo, already mentioned, um, was probably the the biggest online first-person shooter um, when it came out. The, the first one, Halo Combat Evolved, it changed. I keep saying, you know, I sound really repetitive there, but all the games I've mentioned did change how first-person shooters were when they were released. When we look at Doom, you know, people were experiencing those kinds of mechanics for the first time. And, you know, GoldenEye, same diff. I think the same goes with Halo. I think Call of Duty can fit in there as well. <coughs> Excuse me. I'm just changing um, what online first-person shooters look like and being able to play with your friends and play on just a variety of maps and have a variety of mechanics that improved the way first-person shooter games were played. Um, again, some honorable mentions that I have. Um, Wolfenstein, specifically the new ones on, you know, Wolfenstein Newer and... Uh, the, uh, I can't... For, Wolfenstein 2, I can't... New Colossus, I don't know why I was blanking on that. Uh, the new Doom, of course, uh, really rehashing out what made Doom good back in the day. Those are two games that just... I wanted to, to mention of just being really excellent first-person shooters. And, of course, the Battlefield games. Battlefield 1 specifically is one of the best Battlefield games I've played in a long time, if not the best Battlefield game. Um, what else do we got? Titanfall 2. Um, great, great, great campaign. Great use of mechanics when you are, you know, kind of doing parkour and then jumping into your Titan and... It completely changing the gameplay in that way as well. Um, I think those are all, you know, there's so many first-person shooters out there. Overwatch, that changed, <clears throat> took first-person shooters into a new type of genre of hero shooters. Um, yeah, I, I, I just, there's, when we look at first-person shooters, that genre has evolved so much over the years. And it's cool to see how each game that, really leaves a footprint on the genre can affect how games are played in the future right if we look at overwatch right now games 10 years down the line you know overwatch is going to be regarded as setting setting things up for how, how those games are played just as like if we look at fortnite being such a huge game in the battle royale genre um, it's just again setting the stage for those games to come up in the future so it's kind of cool looking back at the history in genres and seeing where we are now because of them. And that's all I got for you guys this week. I know it was a shorter episode, but I'm going on vacation. So uh, I got lots of packing to do and lots of prep before I leave. So make sure you give a like, comment, share this podcast with somebody who you think would like listening to video game news. Thanks for joining me. Uh, this week on another episode of Games Are Fun. Remember, you can catch the the podcast now on Google Play Music. So make sure if you know you are a Google Play subscriber, you head over to Google Play, subscribe to Games Are Fun podcast. I'm trying to to gain some tread on uh, on that platform. But other than that, we'll talk to you guys next week. Oh, whoa, 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 Luke, settle down. I got too excited to just end the episode that I almost forgot the question of the week. 
And so the question of the week this week is what is the greatest gaming peripheral ever? So what I mean by gaming peripheral is a device device or some sort of mechanic that was created to change the way we play games. So we could look at the Nintendo Wii console as being a, a peripheral. Actually, you know what? No, let's exclude that kind of stuff. Not necessarily new uh, pieces of technology that change the way the games are played. Well, no, I don't know how to, how to find a proper definition to that. You know what? That This is what it will be. Sorry, bear with me here. The question of the week is what is the best gaming peripheral to ever be created? So these could be things like like the Wii, creating a kind of a wireless remote and using motion controls to be able to play games. This could be things like a Guitar Hero controller, changing the way rhythm games are played, um, the Dance Dance Revolution mat, um, the Wii Fit board, uh, Virtual Boy, PlayStation VR. I mean, the list goes on. So send in what peripherals you think are cool, even if it's the NES Power Glove. <laughs> um, send in send in your thoughts on what the best peripherals are, and we'll share those at the end of next week's episode. So thanks again for joining me on Games Are Fun. Gaff, that's what it's called now. And we'll talk at you next week.